0: Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. In 1873, there was a man named Horatio Spafford. And after the tragic death of his four daughters, he wrote the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, Horatio Spafford deeply understood that no matter his lot in life, he could always rejoice in Christ and him crucified. In this week's episode, Francis Chan takes us to Luke chapter 23 and reminds us of this unspeakable joy that comes from Jesus' death. So we pray that today's episode would encourage you and bring you joy in your worship of Jesus Christ.
1: You know, I, I, uh, I remember there was this uh, comedian that we actually brought to our church like years ago, it's like seven or eight years ago when we we're still in the, the old building his name was Brad Stein. Was anyone here when we did that? Oh, there were a few of you. Okay, you guys remember that? But one of the things he said in one of the shows that he did was uh, he was talking about runway models and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the girls that walk up, you know, on those fashion shows. And, she, and he goes, you know, these women, they make like $20,000 a night just to walk up a runway, yet they all look mad you know he talks and he starts to imitate he goes you know how they just walk and they just kind of go you know <laughs> and he kind of just acts it out he goes man if someone were paying me twenty thousand dollars to walk up a runway i'd be like you know, you know, just so fired up, so excited. He goes, you know, something doesn't make sense there. And, and you know, when I, I think about that joke, I, I think about how, you know, if we really believed, if we really believed what we're preaching here about the cross, I mean, if we're people that genuinely in our hearts genuinely believe that, you know, we were headed for punishment, we were headed for God's wrath, but then God sends his own son. God, our creator, that holy God, sends his son, has him die on a cross, paying for all our crimes. So that means rather than being under God's wrath, we now are children of God and at any moment are going to be in paradise with God. If we really, really believe that, wouldn't there be a little more joy in our lives? Wouldn't there be a little more excitement? And, and wouldn't I come up here teaching this message just going, guess what? You know, there's some good news. Man, I'm no longer under God's wrath right now. Man, I could die any second, and then boom, I'm in paradise with God. I, that's an amazing, amazing truth. And, and, and I, I guess what's uh, what's been bothering me lately is that I, I, I meet a lot of people who don't believe in God. And sometimes when I look at their faces, it seems like they're happier than some of the people I meet in church. You know, like, like okay, wait a second, but this person here totally knows and they're totally excited about heaven or they should be or they, they believe that their sins are forgiven, everything else, and yet I don't see a joy in their lives. I, I mean, some churches I walk into, it's like everyone's just sitting there you know arms crossed just you know with this angry look you know they don't talk to each other i'm not talking to anyone you know I know he said I'm supposed to greet someone. I'm not greeting anyone. You know, and just kind of sitting and looking and just going, man, you know, critiquing the music, critiquing the message, this and that. You know, and it's just like, wow, where's, where's the joy? I'm not talking about our church. You know what I mean? There's only a few of you. But, but you, know, the, the, uh, you know, there's places where it's just like, man, do you get what just happened to you? Do you understand what God did in your life? If so why are we sitting here like a bunch of runway models, you know, with this this look on our face, like we're disgusted or whatever else. Man, we're going to heaven. You know, we're saved. We're completely forgiven. And, oh man, I I told you that one time I went on that one uh, conference I spoke at and the worship leader got up there and started singing. Then he stops and he goes, you know what, if the joy of the Lord is in you, someone needs to tell your face. You know <laughs> you just because it was like these looks of come on, you know what, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're gonna be in heaven with God. I mean, do we really believe this stuff? And if so, shouldn't our faces show it, shouldn't our lives show it? Now, now having said that, um I, I've had a couple of tough weeks the last couple of weeks, and and I tell you, it's a fight sometimes to maintain your joy. You know, the Bible says to rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And, and you know, during this, uh, these last couple of weeks, you know, I just think about, you know, some of the difficult things. And, you know, the thing is, is that your mind wants to gravitate toward negativity. Your mind wants to dwell on the problems. At least mine does. There's like this mental masochism going on where my mind wants to focus on bad things and, and mull them over in my mind rather than kicking it out and rejoicing in the Lord. It's work. And that's why I'm so thankful that we've been in this this series on the cross because what brings us joy is when we really do think again about our actual situation because of the cross. That's the only way you can really fight for your joy is to remember these things. And, uh, And it's been good because when the temptation to dwell on the negative is there, I just kick it out and go, no, I'm going to dwell on the cross and I want to restore the joy of my salvation. I want to rejoice in the Lord always. That's the way God wants me to be so that the world will look and say man how can that guy have joy even in these difficult situations and It's because we're in the Lord and, and I hope that that's happening in your life because the truth is is man I know life gets tough but we should be in hell right now <laughs> you know that's what it comes down to it's like no matter how bad it is it's like you know what I actually should be in hell right now so life is pretty good And no matter how bad, no matter how difficult your situation gets, the truth of the cross should always be enough to enable you to rejoice. Okay, no matter how bad it gets, the truth of the cross should always be enough to enable you to rejoice. And that's why he can command that. That's why God can command, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So as we continue the series on the cross, I'm not going to be able to finish the whole passage that I put on your bulletin, so don't worry about that. Just rejoice. We're in uh, Luke 23. We'll, We'll just extend it another week. What's wrong with another week focusing on the cross, right? Luke 23, verse 32. Gosh, I just, I'm so excited about these passages. I'm so happy about this. I mean, yesterday afternoon, reading through these passages, I'm not a crier. I just don't cry a whole lot. I don't know if I try not to or whatever, I just don't do it. But I was in my office, and I'm just crying because I'm so excited. You know, just reading this passage, it's just made me so happy, so happy because of what I've got that I, I just started crying just sitting there by myself. It felt weird. Luke 23, verse 32, it says, uh, "...two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed." When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his, his clothes by casting lots. Okay, this is such an amazing scene. This is such an amazing scene because Jesus, this is where he gets crucified. Okay, and, and, and he's being led up to, to where he's being crucified, and he has two other th- criminals with him. And, and Jesus is crucified. He's nailed to this cross by these soldiers, and he's got, you know, the, these criminals on either side. But while he's up there and, and, and the soldiers are down there gambling for his garment... You know, and and, and he's being mocked and everything else. What he does while he's on the cross is he prays to the Father, and he says, Father, forgive them. As he's looking down at the people who nailed him to the cross and now are gambling for his clothes, he says to the Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Just dwell on that for a second. Jesus is asking for forgiveness for the people who just nailed him to this cross. This makes me feel so, so good because I think about my life, and I think a lot of us do this. We look at some of the things we've done in life, right, and we feel pretty bad about it. And sometimes we question, God, can you forgive me for this? Can you forgive me for that? But you know, when I look at a passage like this, and I know I've done some pretty evil things on this earth, but I compare them to crucifying Jesus. And I go, well, it's not that bad. Okay, the things I've done... While there, there are some rotten things I've done in my lifetime, it's like compared to taking the Son of God and nailing him to a cross, I'm going, okay, well, it's not that bad. And so I can look at a passage like this, and it comforts me. It gives me a security going, you know what? If Jesus can ask for forgiveness for the very people who are nailing him to the cross, then I think I'm okay. You know? There's a sense of security going, you know what? God's grace really does reach that far, even to the very people who nailed him to the cross. And, and it seems like this prayer is for those Roman soldiers, you know, because he's saying they don't know what they're, they're doing. It's, it's kind of like in 1 Corinthians 2.8, it says that none of the rulers understood this for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. You know, saying they didn't really know what they were doing. You know, like like the centurion at the end, if you read the account in Matthew and Mark, centurion is the guy that was in charge of all the Roman soldiers, or in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. He was the guy, and at the end, after Jesus is crucified, and when he dies, you know, there's this earthquake, everything turns black, you know, all these things start happening, and, and the centurion goes, that really was the Son of God. It was like this realization of, we just crucified the Son of God. That this was real. Whether it was the earthquake or all the events that happened right at that moment when Jesus gave up his spirit, somehow he knew. But, it, but like 1 Corinthians says, he, he didn't know what he was doing. And many of us have done things in our lives, you know, that were just so wicked. But at that time, possibly you didn't know Jesus. You didn't have the power to overcome those things. And, and here Jesus is praying for their forgiveness. And um, I don't know, for me, it's just one of those things where I just believe it's Something we need to rejoice in because sometimes we can dwell on our sins so much, right? We, we can look at all the things that we've done and we feel pretty bad. And what the Bible teaches me is I need to stop dwelling on my sin. I need to just stop dwelling on myself, period. Whether it's the good or the bad, it's just like I shouldn't spend that much time thinking about me, We just do, we think, you know, we go to either extreme, either we we think too much of ourselves and think about all the good things we've done in life, or we go to the other extreme, we think about all the bad things we've done in life, and it's like, you know what, scripture teaches me, I'm just not supposed to think about myself that much, because either I'll get arrogant or depressed, you know, and it's like, let me just think about the cross and rejoice, and whatever I've done, you know what, he forgave those people who nailed him to the cross, he can forgive me, and that feels good. Goes on to the next next section, verse thirty five. It says the people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, "He saved other, others; let him save himself. If he's the Christ, the chosen one." The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, "If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself." And there was a written notice above him which read, "This is the King of the Jews." One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. "Aren't you the Christ?" save yourself and save us so there's a common theme in these verses everyone's mocking jesus as he's on the cross and i just think about that it's like gosh how many times have you been able to have someone mock you and you not react you know especially when you have the power to do something about it and you just kind of take it and you just think about jesus on the cross everyone's like come on if you're the son of god save yourself if you're the son of god save yourself See, but what what, what they didn't understand was that if Jesus did come off that cross and save himself, he wouldn't have been able to save us. You know, like that one one criminal who's saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He didn't realize that by staying on the cross, Jesus was saving him. By staying on the cross, he was giving him an opportunity to be saved. And by saving himself and not going through the cross, we would still have to pay for our crimes. But it's interesting because this account says that one of the criminals was insulting him. Because uh, if you read the account in, in Matthew, it says that both of them were insulting him. So what it shows me is that there was a time when both of the thieves, you know, both of the criminals were insulting Jesus, and one of them has a change of heart. And that's what we read about here, and this is amazing. Verse 40, it says, But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he says, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Gosh, this is so beautiful. Okay, I mean, just try to picture the scene. Here's Jesus two criminals, one's mocking him, going, come on, if you're the son of God, then prove it, save me, save yourself, and then the other guy looks over at the other criminal and goes, man, don't you understand? I you understand what's going on? We deserve this. He doesn't. He's done nothing wrong, I deserve this. So first, he recognizes his own sinfulness, which anyone needs to be saved. But then the guy looks at Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? You see, at that moment, when he says, well, you remember me when you enter into your kingdom, he's showing that he believes Jesus is really the king. This guy's really going to enter the kingdom. And I don't believe that he's thinking about heaven at that moment. I believe that he's talking about, you know, when you return, the return of the Christ that Jesus has been preaching. Say, hey, when you come back, remember me. And the amazing thing is Jesus' statement. He looks at that thief. He looks at that criminal. At the end of his life, just by those two phrases, first, I recognize my own sin, and I recognize that you're the king that can save me. And just by him saying that, Jesus says to him, I'm telling you the truth. It's not just about my future kingdom. Today, today, think about that. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. What was going through that, that thief's mind at that time? Recognizing his own sinfulness, going, "Oh man, I deserve this. I deserve this." But can you just remember me? And he goes, "Today, you're going to be with me in paradise." And uh, what a, what a phrase! You know that the word paradise it's actually a, a Persian word that, that, that means garden or park. And uh, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the word for paradise that, that's used here. Was the same term they used when they referred to the Garden of Eden in the Old Testament. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4, when they use this word paradise, it refers to heaven. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 2, let me read this verse. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, listen to this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. He says, you know what, if you guys overcome, I'm going to give you the right to eat of the the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. When Jesus looks at that, that thief, he says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And it's this picture of this Garden of Eden amazing setting, and he says, today... Yeah, I, love, I love the idea of the garden. I love the idea of this paradise. Because, I don't know, sometimes when I read some descriptions of heaven, when we think of heaven, sometimes we think of weird things. Let's admit it. You know, when we think of paradise, you know, well, you know with different things we've, we've seen on cartoons or whatever else, with clouds and, you know, pearls and different things like that. And, and, and some of that is biblical. Some of it, you know, the, the jewels and this and that. But there's something about paradise, there's something about the garden and, and eating of the tree of life that, that, that appeals to me. Because have, have you ever gone somewhere like out in nature where your heart just kind of leapt when you got there? Honestly, you ever, you ever just been to a scene? I don't know if some of you guys just spend way too much time in the city. But do you ever, you know I do too, but do you ever just go away and maybe it's the contrast. When we get somewhere where it's just pure nature and you just go, oh, this feels so good. You get on a mountaintop or something and you just feel like you're closer to God or something and there's something you experience, something you feel. Imagine then the paradise or the garden of the Lord and the feeling we're going to have when we are there right there with Jesus in this perfect garden just as he intended it. And he's giving that picture to that thief saying, that's where you and I will be today i just go man that's that's amazing a few moments i I love this passage because even though i always knew this sometimes sometimes we can get influenced by people we even know, know are wrong for example even though i know that it's like you start hearing so many other voices sometimes that you start to question your beliefs you know what i mean You know, like like you got the the Catholics that'll say, no, you got to spend some time in purgatory. You know, especially if you really screwed up in life, you know, you're going to have to spend a lot of time over there. You got to make up for your sins. You got to have other people pray for you. Here's a thief on the cross. Jesus didn't say today you'll be with me in purgatory. He said today you're going to be with me in paradise. I go, oh, that's it. I'm going straight there. You got the Jehovah's Witnesses that go, well, you know what? you, no, you don't really go up there. You, you, your soul stays in this state of sleep. You know, you just sleep. You know, and you're just, you don't know what's going on. You just sleep forever until Christ returns. Then you go up to heaven. And it's like, no, He didn't say today you and I are going to sleep. He says today you and I are going to be in paradise you got the Mormons that teach you, you know, no, if you work enough, you do enough deeds, write a few more blocks, you know, then you can earn your own planet, you can dominate. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's just saying, today, you can be with me in paradise. And I just read that and I go, okay, this is good. This is good. If I die, I don't sleep. I don't have to worry about how much work I did. I don't have to wait till people pray me out of somewhere else. I go straight to paradise, because that thief did. It's comforting. It's good stuff. So today, you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, that's why we as Christians should should rejoice, because at any moment, any moment, I'm going to be in that garden with Jesus. Amazing. Verse verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Okay, so he says it was the sixth hour. The sixth hour is 12 o'clock, is noon, because they would start their time at like 6 a.m. So the sixth hour is is 12, and it says that there was darkness from noon until the ninth hour, which would have been 3 o'clock. So for those three hours, the place just turned black. The sun stopped shining, and I believe that this was a, a sign or a picture of God's displeasure on the rejection of his son. It was a divine judgment at that moment. But then uh, right around that time, it says that uh, the the temple of the curtain was torn in two. And, And then Jesus breathes his last. He says with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's saying, God, here is my spirit. Again, a great picture. Because what happens? Jesus gives his spirit up to the Father. His spirit goes to heaven. Now, later on, he resurrects. Three days later, comes back into his body and then gets into his resurrected body. And I think even that's a picture of our future in that when we die, our spirits, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But also the Bible talks about this bodily resurrection that happens later at the return of Christ. And I go, you know, it seems like the same picture here. Your spirit goes up and later somehow you're resurrected bodily, which I don't understand completely. But but it's what happens to Jesus. And, and, and the whole idea when it says that the, the temple, the curtain, was torn in two. The curtain refers to the curtain in the temple that separated this place called the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, from the, rest of the place, from the rest of the temple. You see, there was this thick curtain, not like a curtain you could tear, but this thick you know, cloth thing that like, separated the Holy of Holies because you weren't allowed in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, they they put that back there. No one would dare go back into that place except for the high priest once a year. Because when you went back there, that signified the presence of God in there. And if you went there in the wrong way, people would die. You died. You You go in there the wrong way, you die. You know, you, you touch that ark, you die. It, it, it was just a scary, awesome place because it signified the presence of God. So the high priest, once a year, would go through all this cleansing, get himself right, and then walk back in there. In fact, they'd have a rope tied to him so that if he died in there, they could pull him out because there's no other way to get him. You can't go in there or everyone would pile up. You you, you had to, you just pull him out. And so it was as awesome. No one goes back there And yet, once a year, he goes back there. You see, when Jesus died, when Jesus died on the cross, it says that curtain was mysteriously torn because God was showing, look, there's no more curtain anymore. You can have direct access to me now because of what Jesus did on that cross. His body was that temple that was torn apart for you. He was the curtain, you know, and his body was broken so that you have direct access to God right now. See, these are just amazing things that all happen in that moment that if we believe them, we go, wow, I can go straight into the presence of God and pray to him now, yeah. And so if I die, I just immediately go into paradise with him, yeah. And he forgave the guy that nailed him to the cross, and so he can forgive me, yeah. <laughs> it's that good. Yeah, and then, then in verse 27, I love this because I, I found some things in this, these verses that I'd never noticed before. Verse 47, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Now, in Matthew and Mark, it says that he didn't just say, surely this was a righteous man. It says that he says, surely this was the son of God. So he said, wow, he's a righteous man. He's the son of God. Then verse 48, when all the people who had gathered there to witness this saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now here's what I want you to notice. Okay, Jesus says to God, take my spirit, and then he breathed his last. The centurion watching that, it says centurion, the guard who, who nailed him to the cross, the guy who was in charge of all of this, looks and goes, wow, he really is a righteous man. He really is the son of God because he even told God when to take his spirit. Then he also adds that to the fact that, okay, and the sun went black for three hours. You know, there was an earthquake. You know, Matthew and Mark record. He just goes, that really was the Son of God. Now, I've always pictured this guy when he figured this out going, whoops. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, Shoot. I just crucified the Son of God. This was really the Son of God. And I was in charge of this thing. I just nailed him to a cross. I pictured him, and, and yes, there was some terror, Matthew says. He was, they were terrified at what they had done. But I pictured him just going, no way I did this. And just walking around, just weeping and going, gosh, I killed him. Going home, honey, you'll never believe what I did. You know, just ready to kill yourself, right? I mean, isn't that the way you picture the centurion when he figured it out? But that's not what this verse says. Look at verse 47. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God. He praised God. And the verb literally means he kept on praising God. This blew me away. Because yes, he's terrified that one moment realizing what he had done, but then the next moment he's praising God realizing he really did die for my sins. When he prayed and asked for forgiveness, that was real, so I'm okay. And you've got the centurion actually praising God that his son died for him. That The person who was in charge of nailing him to the cross here is praising God immediately after the crucifixion. I go that's just that's just amazing to me the very guy that nailed him to the cross could praise God and I think man how many of us are still stuck in our sins and not able to praise God for our forgiveness because we dwell on our sins for so long think about the guy that nailed him to the cross and how he could recognize his sinfulness his sin but then immediately praised God and not stop praising God. He kept on praising God. Oh, I just love that. I just love that picture because here's what it comes down to. If the thief on the cross was immediately in paradise and the centurion that nailed him to the cross immediately praised him after doing so, then I'm in pretty good shape. You know what I mean? It's just like, okay, Father, this is real. Your grace really does go that far. I really am forgiven. I've always known it, but it's just good to be reaffirmed and to go, okay, the thief on the cross is up there. You know, the centurion that nailed him to the cross is forgiven. God, I really am forgiven. I really am going to be in paradise with you. And what what drives me crazy is that some people hate this passage. And you've probably met people like this who hate this passage. In fact, some people refuse to believe in Jesus because of this passage. Because they'll say things like, So you're telling me some guy on death row can at the end of his life just say, Okay, forgive me, God. And God's going to let him into heaven after he's been a murderer his whole life? I can't believe in that kind of Jesus. Haven't you heard things like that before? If God's going to forgive that person, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. Why? Because in our arrogance, we want to say, I'm not going to be lumped together with that guy. I've done a lot of good things in my life, and that's why I get to go. And I add that to Jesus and everything else, and that's why. but, but not some guy that at the end of his life cries out to God and suddenly he gets to go to paradise. No, I don't want any of that and they actually get annoyed by the grace of God. Isn't it amazing how some people can make a bad thing out of anything? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like you can take anything, even the grace of God, and tell me why it's a bad thing. Because His grace shouldn't be that far-reaching or whatever else. You guys, after what Jesus has done on the cross, we need to be people who just rejoice, who live each day rejoicing in the Lord always. And I know life gets tough, but this is bigger than that. This is so much bigger than that. And understanding this truth should always enable us to rejoice. For some of you, maybe you've never asked Jesus into your life. Maybe you recognize that you've never done this. You know, it's my greatest pleasure this morning to tell you that you can immediately know that you're going to heaven. If you ask Jesus into your life, if you tell him that you want this forgiveness, you can be like that thief on the cross crying out right now. Regardless of what you've done your whole life, and if you were to die five minutes from now, you could just say, you know what? Jesus, I know I deserve this. I deserve the cross. I deserve this punishment. You don't. Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. I want this salvation. You can start rejoicing today. That's why I don't want baptism. You know, you can walk up here and get baptized right now. And and, and don't turn that into a bad thing also. Like, oh, I have to go get baptized. I got to go. You guys, it's a privilege. It's an honor to say, you know what, God? I can't believe it. But with everything I've done in life right now, I can stand in front of all these people in front of you and have all my sins washed away. I can just die to all of my sins, all of my past, come out, live a whole new life, and know that I'm walking straight into heaven. That's a good thing, okay? Let's not turn baptism into a bad thing. Let's not turn, I mean, all these things that God has given us, you know, Satan tries to twist and make it into this horrible thing, when well, it's like, gosh, we should be rejoicing in this, rejoice in the fact that today you could stand before all of us and get baptized. We had like four people last night. We had people every every weekend. I don't remember the last weekend we've had where there wasn't someone who just, Realize, recognize their sin and turn their whole life around and just rejoice. We had like this 80-something-year-old lady last night, and just just baptizing her and just I, I said, you know, you understand that by getting baptized, you're you're committing uh, the rest of your life to Jesus. And she goes. Ah, oh, you betcha, you know, and it's just like, ah, oh, you know, just the, the joy, the, ah, oh, she just knew it, she knew exactly what she was doing, it's like, yeah, you know, that's the joy we should have in coming to the Lord, man, the, the worship team's going to come up, and, and we're just going to have a time where we just recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross, and so as, uh, as they come up, If if any of you need prayer, because I recognize difficult things still happen in life, you know, we're just saying, you know, it's not that that you're not going to go through pain. It's just that even in the pain, we we should be able to focus on the cross and still find our joy. That at any moment, we're going to be in paradise with Jesus. You're forgiven. Let's rejoice about that. I mean, honestly, let's think about what we're about to do here. We're about to sing to God and thank Him for saving us. Man, how are you going to do that? Are you going to do the runway model thing? Or are you just going to come before God and go, you know what? I'm the happiest guy on earth. I can't believe what you did for me. Sing as though you were the thief on the cross. And you heard those words for the first time today. You're going to be with me in paradise. Ah, oh, how would you sing?
0: Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love podcast. We will see you next time with a new episode. But until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org. Thanks.